This Augusta Golf Show podcast is brought to you by Audi Augusta, online at AudiAugusta.com. Peter Kessler is a golf historian, award-winning broadcaster, and the man to whom we turn. After a major championship, we just had a major championship. Pleasure to welcome Peter Kessler back to the Augusta Golf Show. How are you, my friend? I'm doing absolutely fantastic, and I'm delighted to hear from you. And it just, you know, the thing about having the last major occur so early in the calendar year means that, you know, it used to be eight months between the PGA Championship and the Masters. Now it's nine months yeah. until the Masters comes up again. And so, you know, what are the what are the important things that are going to happen in golf tournaments between now and then to sustain the interest of the casual fan now that the major championships are behind us. But I think that this final major championship of the year reminded us of some of the great things about why we've fallen in love with major championships over the year. And ultimately, it didn't disappoint in any way. Do you um, off topic as you as you mentioned what you mentioned? Do you think from now until Masters, what will keep us interested has been contrived? Well, yeah, I do. I think you know you got the Ryder Cup coming up, but you have it coming at really perhaps the worst golf course for recreational player in the entire world to play, which is Whistling Straits. If it isn't Kiowa, one of the two are the least golf courses ever as a spectator, as a player. Whistling Straits, for example, has uh, 1,200 bunkers. What does Augusta National have between 60 and 75? I mean, it's a really low number. So, you know, it was done thoughtlessly, and it was done recklessly, and it was done without the golfer in mind. He was much, I was much more interested in transforming the property and making it as hard as he could. And he did transport the property, and he did make it as hard as he could, and therefore it's neither fun to watch, play, uh, watch on TV, play in person, or try to spectate that it's impossible to do. Given that, you also don't have this huge group of stars that over the last 25 years, or even longer for some of us, we're used to having see, see at the Ryder Cup. So, you know, that's an event. It's not a tournament. It, it's a you know, it's a high-profile exhibition in many ways, a goodwill exhibition. But it's still an event. It's still a competition. We're still looking forward to it. You know, and then you've got the Tour Championship, which is, you know, just 30 guys. So, you know, it's hard to get the right leaderboard and sustain interest. And the course doesn't seem to be as attractive and yield to brilliance, Lake as it used to be. So there's not a lot coming up. For the casual fan, for the hardcore fan, you know, between the statistics and all the places they can go on social media and interact, I don't think things change very much. But for the hardcore guy, it's mm. nine months till the next golf tournament. That's important to us. Yeah. Um, let's talk about that that last golf tournament. The I'm asking the historian in you. I know it's early. Do you see anything in Morikawa? Well, I mean, we've been so quick to to crown the next great player do you see anything special in him is there something special to look for in this young man i think there is and i'm super slow to pick the next guy i am not a believer in george spieth i'm not a big believer in bryson DeChambeau in terms of his being able to be consistent 
I think Spieth is an incredibly gifted, natural player who still gets in his own way. You know, he's only won one time since 2017. So, you know, to make a fuss about all these top fives and top sevens because he can't close on the weekend just makes him less interesting to me. And same thing with Louis Eustazen. You know, he just can't close on the weekends. You know, his Saturday round was okay, but his Sunday swing was iffy, and therefore you you had what you had. But with Colin Morikara, I see something different. Uh, first of all, he and John Rahm certainly hit it better and closer to the hole more consistently on the Sunday than anybody else in the field. And Rahm could have shot 55 the way he was hitting his irons. So many makeable putts. And you're not going to make them all. And we said, oh, but he choked. He didn't choke. You can't make everything. But the more chances you leave yourself, the higher your percentages go up. If you keep rolling the ball over the high side of the hole, some of them are going to fall in. Rom ultimately had that happen. But the Morikara thing was pretty stunning because, yeah, you know, look at his background. You know, he he was the number one amateur in the world. He stayed in school to pursue a, a business administration as an undergraduate. And he could have turned pro, you know, three-time All-America. He's been on a major a vertical trajectory in the two years since he has turned pro. Let's not forget that last year playing the PGA Championship for the first time, he finished with a final round 64. That was also bogey-free, as was his 66 to close Royal St. George's, which, of course, was the place that Ian Fleming, who wrote the James Bond series, used to be a member and hang out and drink and smoke and had a heart attack and died, leaving there one day when he was still a young man. But, you know, Royal St. George's became Royal St. Mark's with the famous match with Goldfinger. And, of course, that was, in my view, the best and most realistic golf scene ever filmed because it was recreational players playing recreational golf. So it was more believable as opposed to guys who never played golf pretending to be Bobby Jones, which is a complete hilarity to think that they ever had a meeting and said, yeah, let's pick this guy. Okay, so he's never sworn a club. Who cares? It just it just makes zero sense whatsoever. But this Kalamon car has been on a roll, and it has been steady. He hasn't had any bad things happen to him yet. Jordan Spieth's had bad things happen to him. Rory McIlroy's had bad things happen to him. Arnold had bad things happen to him. So he is off to a superstar. Usually the problems occur a little further down the road. Just 24 years old. Only two guys have won those two majors before 25, and Tiger. So, you know, so you're just looking at the track record. You go, yes, this is super impressive. But this, you know, I was reading something Padraig Harrington said the other day that the difference between the guys who win and the guys who don't win are the guys who have belief in themselves and the guys who don't have belief in themselves. And in my view, as an artist, I say, that's just a given. If you don't have the self-belief, then you may be in the wrong field because that's like the primary given at the beginning of the process. I believe in me. I believe in what I'm trying to accomplish. But getting to a point where your skill set as a striker and a roller of the golf ball is equal to the best guys on tour and you can't close because you don't have belief, I don't buy into that. There's something flawed then in the long-term process of that particular golfer. You, that can't be a consideration any more than 
Rex Harrison walking onto the stage to do My Fair Lady 60 years ago for the first time and wondering if it was going to work out okay. It doesn't work that way, you know. You know, we always accuse me of raising the Beatles. Okay, they believed in themselves. <laughs> they went on the stage and banged it out. But there was never a question of, can I do this? There's never that. Nicholas didn't think, can I? Jack didn't think, Tiger didn't think, can I? Jones. So, Morikara, to go back to what this thread is about, has that self-belief. He doesn't wonder about it, and yet he works on his mental game skills with his one and only teacher so far in a way that makes sense. You know, it's not imagine you're walking down the fairway and then it's a closed tunnel and therefore there's no spectators. If you have to do all of that stuff, you have no chance whatsoever. You start baking up games and stuff like that. The mental game is you throw three balls down in the rough and you try to figure out how you're going to get the ball up around the hole. What are you supposed to think about? Do you think during your swing? Do you have your target in your mind during your swing? That's how the mental game is done. It's not about the belief thing. That If you don't have that, you don't have any chance whatsoever. So he has that. He believes in himself. It came naturally, and it's been developed. The skill and the gift was identified, and now it's been developed with him and his teacher. And his ball striking is sublime. You know, he's one of the shorter hitters on tour. He ranks over just 100th in driving distance. But that really only puts you a few yards behind the longest hitters. The longest hitters aren't always the best scorers. But he's number one in greens. And he's always near number one in putting for the calendar year. He was number one in approaches last week. And he was number one in putting. You don't even know to know anything else but those two stats. And you know that that had to be the winner of the tournament. If you're number one in proximity to the hole in greens regulation and you put better than anybody else, well, then you're the winner of the golf tournament. And that's exactly what he did. So bogey-free, ironclad, made a couple of 10- and 12-footers for par he needed. He really did need the 20-foot birdie on 14. Jordan was doing you know short-term Jordan stuff. Jordan got within a stroke. Morikawa made the birdie on 14. He stretched it back to two. He was able to, to work his way in. Still had to get it up and down on 15. And uh, I was just super impressed with everything that he did. I loved the way that he did it. And, uh, yes, I think he's the best player of this young group. And I would take his career going forward over Jordan Spieth's career going forward starting right now for sure. Okay. couple of things. Thing number one, can you stay for another segment? Because you're leading me down a path I wanted to go. Can That's the first, just a simple yes or no. Yes. Second thing, you don't get to bring up the Beatles by accusing me of you always bringing up the Beatles. That, no, no, no. You don't get to do that. We're, so you, you, can, you can stick around for another segment. Uh, correct? I'm on, pro, I'm on probation. I love this. You you took me down a path I wanted to go, a way I wanted to to take, You're talking about the mental aspect of the game. And maybe you answered this for the most part in the first segment. Through the years, have you felt multiple major champions? Are they better ball strikers or are they better at the mental aspect of the game? Is that why they win majors? Yeah, I would say that if you went to a practice range right now and 
and you weren't familiar with the faces of the players, and I put 10 guys from Corn Ferry Tour next to 10 PG, the top 10 PGA Tour professionals on the range, you would not be able to tell me which player was the PGA Tour player and which player was the Corn Ferry Tour because the striking is so similar, the results are so similar, the swings are so similar, the consistency is so similar. The first big issue... Um, a distinction between the Corn Ferry guys and the PGA Tour players is their ability to putt well. Everybody on the PGA Tour is a great putter. It's just a relative thing. But they're all great putters, even the ones that we say are terrible are great putters on the PGA Tour. I would also say that if you look at the greatest players in the history of the game, there's no question that it was the quality of their thinking and their self-control that allowed them to do the things with their instruments, their golf clubs, that great musicians allow themselves to do on stage when you're going to improvise a lead guitar solo. You just allow it to occur. You stay out of your way. Sean Connery used to talk to me about this, about acting and, and gifts, and he would say, you know, when you discover a gift, you just let it operate and you stay out of the way. So players like Jack and Tiger and Jones, not Hogan, because he didn't come into his intellectual and physical form until later in his life. But, you know, the prodigies, the Nicholases, the Woods, the Joneses. I mean, Bobby Jones had the same six swing at six that he had at 26. And he thought the same way about the game, very, very simply. And so, yes, I would definitely say that the thing that separates the greatest players who ever lived from the players, greatest players who didn't ever live is the quality of their mind, which allowed them to continue to use their tools to achieve a certain outcome and stay out of their way, knowing if they just made good decisions that there was a good chance that those good decisions would outweigh the poorer thinking of their competitors who wouldn't think as well as the, as the heat increased. You know, Nicholas would, would get better as the day went on. Tiger frequently would get better as a Sunday went on. Jones would get better as a Sunday went on. You know, and so at that point, that's where you see the separation because Sunday is the important day. And so the belief factor of the better players becomes more obvious when you get closer to the 72nd hole because now you've been able to see there's a distinction between a few players who have everything working internally and allow the external thing to occur and other guys who get in their own way just like anything else. So, yes, it's the quality of the mind. It's the quality of the management. It's the, it's the acknowledging that the game is one of constant emotional and physical adjustments. And they're little tweaks. They're little things. They're not major things. But only Jack and Tiger, as you look back in time, could take a round where they went two or three over through six, figure out the swing issue, fix it, and then go four or five under over a cluster of holes to finish under par for the day. That that's something that happens inside of your head and inside of your heart and you get out of your way and you don't dwell on the mistakes. Look at Louis Eustace well, last that, week that, on that's the a, Sunday. Okay. Bad, bad, 
bad shot dejection. You're you're taking me right down the. That's my next question, Peter. With what Louis did, and what with what Louis has done in the last year, and with what you've said, more likely, less likely to ever win another one. I would say less likely. I mean, he's closer to forty than he is to twenty-five, and you know he's been at this for a long time. You remember he won his major, you know, eleven years ago. He's got. You know, now he's got six runner-ups and a couple other top five. So, you know, it, while it sounds like Mickelson in the U.S. Open, Mickelson's overall record is better. So you tend to give less weight to the fact that he didn't close the U.S. Open because he's got six other majors, which makes you one of the best players of all time, whether people like it or not. Six. Once you get to six and 45 wins, you know, but, he, you know, yeah, is he the worst great player that ever lived? Yeah, maybe, but he's still one of the best players. But Louis. He's not a great player. He's got one of the best golf swings we've ever seen. He, he's an average or on the smallest size, kind of like an Arnold Palmer height, 5'7"-ish, Gary Player, Lee Trevino. You know, he's right in that, but, 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 but thin and, and, and uh, flexible with a beautiful golf swing. But I believe in his case, to your point, when it comes down to the important moments, Louis' self-belief meter is not as high as Collins or Jacks or Tiger or Jones or Hogan when he got to the point in his career when he was able to win. And on Sunday, when he started to play some sloppy stuff and made the really bad bogey on the birdieable par 5-7, while Morikara took the lead there for the first time with a birdie and a two-shot swing, and he would never give up the lead from that point forward, especially after birdieing the, the, the two holes subsequent. But Louis' body language... Um, was you know a, a pretty big giveaway. Even if it, if it wasn't there, the, the quality of the shot making wasn't there. But the reactions were one of dejection. He didn't believe in his swing. He didn't finish his swing. He didn't get all the way around. He get all of his weight on his left side. The shaft didn't bounce off his back like it normally does when he goes after a shot, but not hard. But goes after. He did finish his swing. He looked like he was making the mistakes of a recreational player in the in a much better player. But the same kind of mistakes that the 95 shooter makes. Didn't finish his swing. Got upset. Let things around him bother him. You know, heard the uproar of the butterflies in the adjoining meadow, as P.G. Woodhouse said. So everything disturbs him, like it disturbed Colin Montgomery. But I believe that Louis Tayson is a better player than Colin Montgomery got was, even though he's only got the one win, you know, in, yeah. in this country by virtue of the P, uh, the Open Championship at the old course, pretty good single win to have on your record if you're going to have one. But yes, I believe that he did believe. Okay. Um, we have to run, but I've done a little math. This is your 75th appearance on my program. And I'm happy to say every check has cleared, hasn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, the business <laughs> okay. about when you do the, you're like the bank when you do the direct deposit at 12.01 a.m. And I go, yeah. oh, that's just great. So yeah. thank you. Yeah, yeah, you're 75 for 75 in thank, checks. Great. Yeah, I, I'm sure I am. Um, but I don't think I've ever asked you this question. Um, I'm going to give you, you're going to win one major championship in your career. Which one do you want? Oh, I'd win the open at the old course for sure. Easy answer. Um, Easy answer. Easy. Super duper easy. 
I mean, you know, it gets trickier after that. Well, I'm not giving you two. I think that I'm not giving you get one. Yeah, I'm going old course at St. Andrews and in a year that ends with zeros. <laughs> okay. I'm glad to see you haven't thought about it. Um, he is Peter Kessler. He is a golf historian, award-winning broadcaster, and apparently now I have to add Bond to the Beatles double probation list uh, of Peter's <laughs> references. Although, although, although he knows I love them both. He, he gets away with it because I love Bond. Uh, I'm a little too old to pick up Sean Connery after, on the floor after he dropped that name. And, and I love the Beatles. And I love Peter. Peter, thank you. Thank you for saying yes to this. Well, let me just drop this on you. Oh, jeez. I once had, I once had a three-hour sit-down with John Lennon, and I was 22 years old, and I explained to him why he should be convinced that he was a genius. And we had this conversation in front of a lot of famous actors, and then Mick Jagger joined in. So, do you ever want to know about? Genius and John Lennon and that sort of thing. Give me a ring. We'll do number 76. Trombones, baby.